Last week on Grace Anatomy, I'm sorry, that was just really tempting. Last week on Down to Brown, we talked about gender norms and how they play a role in our early development as we remember our childhood, careers, and confidence, sense of self. So now we're going to venture past the library section of young adult into a, the adult section. But get your mind out of the gutter because it's not that kind of a dirty adult. We're talking about romantic relationships. So let's get back to our conversation with Shelly Patel to make it make sense. Indian and American gender norms. So if you remember 15 years ago, maybe the big kind mm-hmm. of scandal you could do is marry someone outside of your race. Yep. A lot of Indian <laughs> Americans watched that movie, Bend It Like Beckham, which showed the story of this Indian girl who rebelled and played soccer, mm-hmm. and she ended up falling in love with her soccer coach, who is white. And that was fucking scandalous yeah. back then. I love that you use that example. <laughs> when you saw interracial relationships, you'd look over like, what's that deal? What was that like? <laughs> what's that adventure? And now I feel like it's rather common, but actually now I look with the same marvel at Indians being together because I feel like it's so difficult to make sense of the exact level of Indian and American that I am and to even find friends that are sort of the Goldilocks amount of Indian American where we can connect and have things in common is pretty rare. So I can't imagine, honestly, finding the same type of Indian American values and mentality with a partner. So I'll come out and say it. You are married to an incredible Indian man. And I was wondering, is that something that your parents expected of you? Is that something that you always had as part of your personal plan? Tell me more about it. So it definitely wasn't explicitly expected. Um, I mean, my parents definitely never said that they expected me to marry an Indian person. And surprisingly, they also never pressured or made me feel like getting married, you know, early, quote unquote, or young was, you know, an expectation or the the right thing to do. Um, So really, it kind of just happened. Um, To answer your question, Sheila and I actually, we grew up in the same town. So um, we met, we actually probably technically met in like junior high. And uh, cue the aww, because I'm always used to hearing that. (laughs) Um, And then I always just brush it aside. I'm like, no, no, it wasn't that cute. But um, so we, we probably technically met then. And we, you know, literally just because we, we grew up in the same town and like the same kind of Indian community, I guess. And our parents weren't necessarily friends then, but they just knew each other the way that you, I don't know, there's like the Indian radar where you just like know the other people that are around. Um, so they were just like a couple neighborhoods over and my parents knew them. And um, it wasn't really until high school that we actually got to know each other. And then kind of dated part of college and then sort of actually went our separate ways during college a bit and actually went to school separately and then got to got back together seriously as he was graduating from college and we actually moved in together right then um literally months after I graduated did you date other people during that period 
Um, so actually, technically not really. Like I did, like, I don't know. I mean, I was like hanging out with other guys and kind of like meet, meeting them <laughs> with the intention of like, you know, seeing if I was interested in a relationship. Um, so I was definitely like getting to know guys and like, you know, whether it was just like becoming friends or seeing if there was something more serious there. Um, but I can't say I actually had like another like boyfriend, quote unquote, um, if that makes sense. But but there was like an understanding between us that like we can sort of go do, do our own thing, you know, and um, whether that meant dating other people or but also like focusing on, you know, like making friends and like schoolwork and all the other things that are part of the college experience and not really feeling pressured to, you know, like, oh, it's Friday. I better like go drive to visit Shelly for the weekend. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. no, I have my own my own world and my own life here on my college campus as well. So um, I think that was actually really, really healthy for us and then kind of cemented that we did want to you know, spend the rest of our lives with each other. And we did then move in together uh, right right after I, I graduated from college. So definitely in the grand scheme of things, you know, we did get together very young and um, and got married young, but like it definitely wasn't this conscious decision of mine. I, I don't remember ever giving it like explicit thought of, do I want to marry an Indian person or not? Um, but I do think to your point, it helps that we we kind of embrace similar aspects of our Indian culture. And, you know, we we both I mean, we've spent time in India now. We've we've loved getting to know like the country and just aspects of the culture, you know, getting to know um, different traditions and different rituals and language and food and you know, all the things, you know, I mean, there's a million more things um, about about the country and about a culture, and we've embraced sort of similar aspects of it. And I think the fact that we met young and kind of were able to do that collectively, though it was totally subconscious, I actually think now that I'm older and it's like 10-ish years into our relationship, like I recognize that that was important back then, even though I wasn't aware of it at the time, you know, but I, I, I do think that being young and being able to sort of build that together and really like understanding how, you know, how did, how much did we care about like, you know, certain religious rituals or, you know, do we go to the temple together or what do we do for the Vali or, you know, do we cook Indian food? Being able to go through those things as a young couple um, kind of cemented, you know, how we now feel and feel about and embrace aspects of our of our Indian culture, and that that's been really nice because that lets us be this collective force when maybe externally there are some things, you know, some expectations applied to us that we don't necessarily agree with. We at least can come forward together and say, like, no, this is what we're choosing to do as a family. You know, we don't care about these external expectations. I think what I found really interesting that you said is I'm hearing a lot of intentionality between you and Sheil in terms of how do we want to do this? And I think it can be really easy, especially when you're younger. And like one thing that I've talked about with Indian girlfriends is sometimes that or even guy friends of like sometimes when you date someone who's Indian, there's this pressure of like, okay, now we have to expedite and do everything very Indian. Um, And so like you start dating someone who's Indian and immediately the question of conversation at least of marriage and getting serious comes a little earlier 
Um, and so <laughs> there's, um, I find it really unique that you both were pretty intentional about the choices you were making and evaluating because I think that's where you can really find your harmony of like what type of Indian do we want to be um, and what type of Indian makes sense for us while being able to you know appreciate that and our American culture. Yeah yeah and I will say like that wasn't necessarily the case our first few years like we definitely found ourselves falling into some of the expectations like you know, all of a sudden, like religious holidays started becoming more of a thing to our parents than they ever were growing up. And we were both like, where did all of this come from? Like we <laughs> like our parents have never cared about this stuff. And now that we're married, it's like, oh, you know, we need to do like this puja and go to this person's house and dress up in this way. And we're like, what? Like, where did you know, where did this yeah. come from? And at the beginning, it was easy to just kind of like fall into it you know it's like oh yeah my mom's inviting us to this thing like let's just go and we kind of quickly realized that that stuff snowballs like it's very classic like give an inch take a mile so you know whatever that phrase is before it's like oh i'll just go uh it's this thing that my parents are making me do to yeah. then they want to see more ownership right of maybe you right. start to host the puja or something right and i'm like wait yeah exactly and it did take a little while for us to like really you know i mean I'm, and i'm not gonna say it was just like this you know flowers and unicorns type like thing i mean it, you know there were arguments there were tears fights all sorts of things you know but it was like okay well if this is important to us let's make time for this, you know, but if this is something that's being pushed on us and, you know, sometimes there are things that are, you know, important to our parents and we're like, let's just go with it. And then there are other times where we're like, wait, no, like we actually don't agree with this. And like, we're going to say so, you know, that's where being a sort of collective force or, you know, a team in those moments is really, really important, you know, obviously also just for the health of your own relationship. Yeah, and I think one thing that stood out to me, too, is that you both are an interdesi marriage. Mm -hmm. So there's Punjabi and Gujarati sides of the family and identities. So how has that difference in backgrounds affected the sort of gender norms that were placed on either you or him? Yeah, so it's funny because you wouldn't think a difference like that would be a huge deal. You know, I think externally it could be seen as like, whatever, you're both Indian, like who cares? <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> yes. And, and like, obviously, you know, when you talk about race in like the more, um, I don't know, like visual sense, like, I mean, we both look brown, you know, like we walk around the, like we walk down the street and you see us, we're a brown couple. So like, you don't necessarily think about that nuance. Um, but we definitely noticed, especially in those early years, as we were, you know, really thinking about which aspects of our culture we want to embrace and want to also then communicate to our families or our friends that are, you know, that this is important to us. We saw these differences really kind of come to, to fruition, especially with our parents, because despite being Indian and both families being Hindu, there are just very, very different ways of doing things. and. We all know India is such a, di a diverse country. There's different languages, food, pop culture, you know, every like dress, uh, clothing, you know, all of that. And there, there started to just be like all these weird 
microaggressions again of like, oh, well, why, like, why does Shelly not understand Gujarati all of a sudden? And I'm like, you realize that's not how it works, right? Like, just because we got married, I didn't like magically learn a new language overnight, you know? Um, that's just one example, but that has all definitely affected our relationships with, with our families because use, just using that example, I don't mean to blow it up into this big thing, but it's just kind of, it just sort of represents the, the bigger issue. Um, you know, my, I know that Sheil has said to his family many times that like when Shelley's around, we need to speak English to like involve her, you know, like it's mm -hmm. been 10 years. We, she can't be at family events just sitting there tuned out and like bullshitting on Instagram because she doesn't understand what anybody's saying. Like, that's not fair. Like, otherwise she's just going to not want to come, you know, and um, 10 years later, he's still having those same fights with his parents, you know, where they're like, oh, it's hard. We forget, you know, and he's like, I don't care if you want to have a relationship with her. You need to communicate in a language that you both mutually understand, you know, and that like, yeah. obviously his mom doesn't care for the fact that he, you know, he, he puts his foot down about this, but, you know, he, he makes it clear that like your relationship with her isn't going to go anywhere if she never understands what you're saying, you know, pretty basic concept. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny to me because I, it's really interesting. People sometimes think that just marrying your, uh, like a similar background or race makes things easy um, mm -hmm. and it's trickier if you're a different race or background. And I think it's interesting, like it's fascinating to me to hear, like it doesn't make a difference, right? Like, and I think therein lies this like universal piece of foundationally you come, people with these identities that share multiple spheres, you're coming from a lot of dimensions. So either mm -hmm. way, it doesn't make a difference. You're going to have to have a conversation about what are all these nuances mean right. when they interact together. Like right, my dad right. would always like, he would joke like very like, hey, like please marry a Telugu guy. Or like my mom would emotionally appeal to me. Like, can you please think about like a Telugu boy? And oh my that God. would shock me because I was like, you know, it's hard enough to find an Indian guy who wants to date me. Like, let alone like, don't make me like <laughs> further stratify this filter and like right. just be set up for failure, right? Yeah, totally. I think that at the end of the day, it comes down to expectations like i think being indian despite you know being not gujarati i think there are certain expectations of okay you know shield's wife is you know she's this indian woman in her in our family and therefore we expect certain things from her you know and they you know they don't necessarily know that you know, whether it's the aspect of gender or the aspect of being brown or all the dimensions involved there, you know, they still typically see a lot of people in their generation, you know, kind of fulfill a lot of those expectations. Like, you know, his wife is going to, you know, I don't know, like cook for him mm -hmm. or, you know, be, especially cause he's the uh, oldest, you know, kind of be this figure in the family, like this almost like maternal, figure to like the rest, you know, to his, his sister and like, you know, to younger cousins and stuff like that, because I'm the oldest daughter-in-law of the family. And, you know, it's, it's that expectation, whether it's because, oh, you know, she's Indian or, you know, because maybe the person you're dating is, is 
brown or or white or black or whatever, you know, they're you, you, they, they go into a, a situation with a certain set of expectations. And then as soon as those aren't filled, it, it creates this friction. And we're definitely realizing over the years that, you know, it gets it's getting better. But, you know, just like the language example that I used earlier, um, there are plenty of others, you know, like she'll cooks like he is the cook between the two of us you know and he loves it it's his passion he's so good at it and i'm sure that even 10 years in like every time someone in his family sees that he does that for us like it it makes him a little uncomfortable you know even though he's so happy doing it and that should be that should be all that matters right so um there's all these like kind of little nuances to it but i think whether your expectations are because of you know where where your family was 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 from or how you were raised you know it it does create this friction as soon as you're not fulfilling whatever that expectation is i can imagine yeah i mean especially like i wonder sometimes some of these repeat i did it this way with our parents um now you should do the same Mm -hmm. I question at times and genuinely just out of curiosity, it's not judgment, but I wonder like these things you I grew up remembering, you weren't a huge fan of these standards and expectations, like especially my mom being the wife of the oldest um, son as well in the family on my dad's Mm -hmm. side, there was a lot of expectation of her and. It was really difficult to watch as a kid, especially with like certain American notions of like, this isn't Mm -hmm. fair for my mom to have to like bend over backwards and always be so selfless. And, um, and, but then it's like, I wonder, like, do you want the same for me? Cause it didn't seem like you loved it, right? Like, it feels a bit hypocritical, right? Definitely. Um, or like they're just blindly kind of like, it feels like without questioning, hey, did I like it or not? Like, you're just kind of, like, pushing it to the next person. Um, mm-hmm. And so I guess I'm I'm really curious, like, what was the dynamic between your parents? And has that affected your dynamic or even influenced or made you pause about your dynamic with Sheil? Yeah, yeah. I can definitely relate to that because we we see it on, on both sides of our families, really, that as we get older, some of those more traditional aspects of our culture are kind of coming back into play, even though they, they weren't really present during our, our upbringing. You know, we've, we've definitely both noticed like our families gravitate towards um, religion a lot more than they used to. Um, they, they want us to partake in more of those things, even though we didn't do much of that as a kid. Um, and that really, it, it's kind of, I don't know if it's just coincidental that we, we see it on both sides of our families, but um, I've definitely talked to friends who say the same thing. And it's, it's, it's kind of going back to the mixed message point that you made super early on that, you know, growing up, I think our parents wanted us to assimilate so badly that they didn't really like push any of that stuff on us. They were kind of like, no, you know, we don't need more reasons for you to like, you know, for you to, you know, not, not, not advance at school or like the parents not advance at work. Like, let's not draw attention to all these things that are different about us. And on one side, I'm glad that maybe we're a little bit more comfortable doing that now that we've, you know, been in this country longer. I'm all for embracing aspects of our culture and not feeling like you have to hide those things. But I want to be sure that we're embracing 
the parts that we, you know, that we believe in, the, the parts that we want to pass on to our children, you know, and pass on to generations to come and not embrace some of those traditional norms that were maybe damaging, you know, it's, it's a very mixed message when, you know, any of our parents like expect the woman to cook, but then are also like really excited for us when we get like a promotion at work or something, you know, and it's like, wait a second, like, you know, that these things may be at odds with one another. Like if I do all at work, I'm like never home. Like I have my house is a mess, like all of these things. And are you still going to be okay with that? You know? Um, and I think that, that like that kind of inherent contradiction is will kind of forever be confusing. And it like, it's just kind of up to us to navigate that in the ways that, that feel right to us. And then also think about the ways we do want to pass these things on to, to future generations. That's very, very powerful. I I think that choice concept is just like huge. Because it's, it's hard to say, like when you say like that feeling of, okay, I get to choose which parts I believe in. I, I love that. I completely agree. And I think sometimes the misunderstanding is that we choose things that are just convenient or easy. And right. it's actually very false. Like the fun stuff, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, I, oh, like I, I'll participate in holy, but I don't really want to go to this like boring puja. Exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's actually, I don't even know if you can, at, at some point I realize the older I get, like physically my body just craves certain things that even if they're inconvenient I want to do those traditions like Mm -hmm. for example going to the temple on new year's was a thing that my mom and dad made us do and growing up I was just like didn't question it because it's something we did and now I like want to go to the temple on new year's or at least that week it's genuine yeah Yeah. because it just feels right to be in that same temple that my parents would take me to I honor my family that way yeah that's great right like and it's it's hella inconvenient to drive over there but like at the same time (laughs) I'm like you know it's just part of me now but I think that's where it's like it can get really interesting when you think about your parents and some of the roles that they play like to this day I get very interesting if I go about relationship advice to each of my parents when I talk to my mom there's a lot more her feedback will be more interspersed with hints of like sacrifice um more like how I can be more compassionate kinder flexible and then if I go to the same situation with my dad not that I'm talking to my parents about every problem but like then if I go to the same situation with my dad he's a lot more you're doing great like don't worry about it your relationship shouldn't be your biggest concern so Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, I really question, like, this is probably very indicative of the type of dynamic they were also conditioned to create in our household. And I didn't always love it, right? Like, um, it it really bothered me, the fact that, like, the woman has to do so much more. Um, She has Mm -hmm. to be, like, put together. If she wants to do work, that's kind of like, you made that choice to work, um, but you still are expected to do things in the household make sure that you get uh, fetch a glass of water if someone wants it. Um, and these are small micro things that even as a kid, I would reject like, Oh, 100%. Yeah, you're like, oh get your God. own water. Like, she's not gonna, why would she get that for you, you know? Um, right, right. And like, why aren't you telling my brother to go get it? Exactly. Right? Like, it's, like, he's literally just playing video games and like bullshitting. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I, I find it hard to ignore, like, and it can be very, um, 
it I feel like it's going to be a lifelong journey of kind of recognizing that dynamic that we grew up in and then seeing like how am I replicating how am I not and what what do I want to choose to include in my life and Mm -hmm. what do I not yeah yeah a hundred percent and I think to that point I mean I do feel grateful that we're we're all in positions where we do get to make those choices and I think it's just it's always about like I don't know living with the the guilt or like whatever word you want to use I always joke that like all moms take some like secret course in how to like guilt their children (laughs) like I don't they don't even like have to they just do it like so smoothly you know I'm like you just like made like sent some really basic text or like there was just like an emoji or something and like you managed to like evoke that feeling of guilt for me how did you do that and I think that is something that you know everyone kind of has to to kind of navigate and work with and it's not just with moms I mean like we said it's career it's friends it's family it's all sorts of things um but yeah I mean the fact that we can make those choices I think is really really powerful and you know, we do kind of have to like pick our battles sometimes, you know, and because it gets exhausting. And, you know, it's great when we have those genuine things that we want to continue kind of incorporating into our lives, like your example. And those things are awesome. And I'm sure we all also have the examples that we just kind of go along with because it's exhausting to fight it every time, you know? Yeah. We like, Sheila and I always joke about like, the low-hanging fruit like sometimes one of our, our family members will make an ask and it is a little bit more convenient than other asks and we'll be like let's just do it like this is low-hanging fruit you know like <laughs> it'll make the next time we don't want to do something a little easier you yeah know? and the fact that we even talk about it that way and it's become a joke you know <laughs> and it's just like this normal part of our everyday navigation you know is just so so interesting because I'm like why do we even assess things in this way like why don't we just say yes to things that we want to say yes to and know when we want to say no but it's of course it's just not that simple no it's not and I'm so glad you brought up the concept of guilt because that's something that I've been thinking about especially in the last few years of feeling a certain amount of guilt whether it's my mom or dad, but about how I'm living my life now and how they had to kind of, Mm -hmm. they were forced to sometimes um, do things. And for example, on my mom, with my mom, I feel really guilty sometimes that I'm able to enjoy a life where I have a little bit more independence or freedom to do things than perhaps she was conditioned or it's really not her fault. Like, right. Like that's how the society she was in like asked her to make choices basically oh totally and then on my dad's side it's like he had to do the whole immigrant tough like you gotta be the guy who like lends all your money to your family and like you take care of Mm -hmm. yourself on one salary he was taking care of himself his like mother his family on his side and then also like Uh, my new family right like the one with my mom and um he made it happen in the Bay Area. So I think about like he never enjoyed though. Like he never went on right. trips. He didn't order dessert. Right. Like he had there were so many small things that he was so weighed down. And so when I look back at both of them, I feel really guilty that I'm able mm-hmm. to benefit from this type of life now, whether it's individually or also 
the way we have like my relationship with my partner like we split the dishes like things are mm-hmm. equal which is like you know it sounds yeah. so stupid but like that's like the no, stuff that my real. mom was like this is so kind of odd that like we we live in america but we're still not adopting some of these gender I- I- equity right activities in the household totally i mean there's so much to unpack there to your point about it not being your mom's fault you know there's this dynamic often at play around you know, money and, you know, kind of socioeconomic status that holds women, you know, that that essentially holds them down, right? Because even if they wanted to be independent, a lot of them, you know, would not be able to afford to be. Mm -hmm. And that's probably a whole nother episode you can do, but um, (laughs) related to related to like gender norms. But, you know, it's, it's really easy to say, oh, like our mom should have just spoken up, you know, they should have been able to do this. And it's like, no, like they they were financially dependent often, you know, again, I'm generalizing, but I know that's often the case. Yeah. And so, you know, that can get that can get kind of scary. Like it, it keeps people sometimes in unhealthy relationships and yes. things like that where they're like, OK, well, I'm kind of just like in a rock and a hard, in between a rock and a hard place, <laughs> you know, like I can't just like walk out and have like my great tech salary that like Lahari and Shelly have, you know, in this generation and, you know, th- like things like that, where even if you could have like the, the courage and the strength to do that, you're, you're, you're held back uh, ultimately. And then on the side of our, our dads and to your point there, like they probably now have internalized that those things you mentioned are kind of indulgences, you know, like who am I to go on a vacation when everyone else is like struggling, you know, or who am I to go out for this nice dinner, you know, and there's this very kind of typical dynamic that I feel like you see in a lot of Indian couples from our parents' generation where like the, the mom or the wife wants to do some of those things. And the dad has to be like, Oh no, like, you know, we shouldn't be doing that. We should be saving. We should be, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like thinking about the future and they feel all the burden of it because often the wife is not really involved in maybe the financial side of things. You yeah, know? And, and they're in, like, yeah. also what you mentioned, like, the male figure is making the decision in the household, right, ultimately. Yeah. And and it's not also, it's interesting because it's not, like, an educational piece. Like, a lot of the women are very educated. Like, my mom has a master's. Like, it's not, like, a correlation and by any means. Mm-hmm. It, it, it really is a invisible social structure we've put in place between genders in our um, society that has kept them in power like it it, like that study that I referred to earlier by Deepa Narayan she mentions how there's this concept of fear training for women where Mm. you eventually teach them so much especially in Indian households of you can't you shouldn't you you should ask for permission that women are just sort of paralyzed to even think what they want and also in turn expect that they can have what they want um and it keeps men in power in that way yeah that's really really interesting because i i think about how some of that does get pushed on to our generation and i think about little comments that i hear from really anyone of our parents generation like it'll always be in the realm of oh like make sure she'll takes you somewhere nice make sure he gets you something nice for that make sure he's doing like this implication that like he has to treat me to these things and not that I can just do them like I can just 
go online shop and buy whatever I want. You know? Absolutely. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't necessarily need him to like take me to the store, like in this very old, like antiquated way, you know? Um, and it's just little comments here and there. No one means anything bad by it, but I'm like, why is there this expectation that like he has to be like permitting me to do these nice things? Like what if I'm just like, Oh shit, I like kicked ass, you know, on that (laughs) presentation at work. I'm going to like treat myself to a nice dinner. Like, Hey, she'll let's go out. Like I fucking crushed that. And I just want to like celebrate, you know, Absolutely. like we can very much do that. And it's, it's really interesting how those little nuggets come out in conversation when you know that our parents or whoever they don't mean anything bad by it like they're trying to say something nice but there's this layer underneath of oh you know it has to be something that comes from the male side it's not just something you do on your own totally this was really eye-opening to me because I'm not just saying this as someone who's like I've mastered gender norms like let me teach (laughs) um I am completely a victim to this as well and I'm continuously re-examining what I'm doing to um reinforce this or realizing how much have I internalized and this example came up in a really big way between my fiance and I where we were talking to our couple's therapist um and we started to proactively do that doing that in COVID because we're like yeah it's a great call um so we saw her and we were talking about the fact that we were waiting for him to get an offer on a job before we got engaged but we really felt ready to get engaged but there was this like obstacle and Mm -hmm. he had um had like he was about to start a role it got rescinded due to COVID so he was looking for again for a few months and Mm -hmm. um she was like it's really interesting would you have blocked the engagement if the roles were reversed and lahari was the one looking for a job and we were just like mindful like oh my god and he didn't realize how much he was internalizing that masculinity aspect and i didn't realize how much i was internalizing watching my dad and mom's dynamic growing up right right Um, right. so i mean honestly two weeks later we got engaged like right after that call we were like we're doing it but Wow. It continues to come. Even if you grew up in America, mm-hmm. whatever, it's it's invisibly always there haunting you like some ghost. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's a really, really interesting example. All right, Shelly, I cannot tell you how much like I enjoy talking to you, period. But I just loved having this conversation with you. You gave me so much energy this morning and so much to think about. Yes. Oh, my God. I feel the same way. I know that knowing us, like we could talk to for like three more hours. And I'm sure all of the listeners, though, would just be like, OK, we've had enough of this. <laughs> Please remove yourself from Spotify. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And because just for one last thing, I can't get enough of you. One of the things that I like to wrap with is a chip chip round, which is hush hush. Um and rapid fire of things that you typically might not say or talk about, but also some things that are just like fun. Question number one, what was the craziest bachelorette party experience you've had in your life? Um, Oh gosh, so you alluded to it earlier and I'm just going to plead the fifth on sharing any details around the rest of that story. If that's, I really don't want you to get kicked off of Spotify. The air of mystery. So it sounds like the stripper was your one of your craziest. One definitely one of my craziest. Yeah. Or the craziest. Okay, well yeah. I'm glad to hear because I was like, is this like normal for everyone? Because I am fully <laughs> scandalized slash amused by this experience. Yep, same. Yeah. I was right in the same boat with you. The most Chicago-y thing you love about Chicago. 
Yeah. Oh gosh. So I do love, love Chicago. I've lived here most, most of my life, I guess. Um, have spent some time in New York too and could talk for days about Manhattan and my love uh, for New York City as well. But um, Chicago, I love, love the, the diverse food scene and um, really just kind of like the, the diversity in general, like how it relates to not only food, but culture, music, arts, you know, like every neighborhood, every like turn of every block, there's something new to explore. And I think it's truly, truly unique about Chicago. I agree. As an Indian American working in India, which I remember you telling me that you did for a long mm-hmm. period of time. Um, what is one thing that surprised you the most? Yeah, I love that question. So for context, yeah, I spent some time with Uber um, in India. And I think what was really interesting was that, so I was surrounded by like peers, essentially, you know, people of a similar like role or education level, all of that as me. And they were always kind of poking fun at how like traditional Indians in America are. And they would always say like, Shelly, I can't believe you like wear Indian clothes to like your friend's weddings and stuff. Or I can't believe you fast on this particular like religious day or, you know, things like that where they're like, we've like given up on like some of these cultural norms. Like how are you guys like overcompensating because you're all the way over there and sometimes it would just come up in normal conversation and they'd be like, we don't even know like what religious thing you're talking about. And <laughs> it just it made me re- so realize how, yeah, like I know some of it, you know, is probably because our parents do want to like make sure we don't lose a lot of those, um, you know, aspects of our roots. But they would just like poke fun all the time um, around these things. And that like really, really shocked me where I was like, oh, I'm not even like, that Indian quote-unquote and they're still making fun of like some of the Indian aspects of me that they think are like very old school right oh my gosh yeah I used to get that from my cousins about playing the vena, which is a string instrument that's very Indian and they're like who is playing the vena?" <laughs> yeah see whereas um, I'm like oh that's so cool <laughs> yeah exactly right so oh man potato potato last but not least what is one reason why you're pro and one reason why you're anti getting married early in your 20s as someone who's done that yourself? Yeah. Um, so, again, probably another a whole other podcast episode where we could like, <laughs> but I know I have like one minute. So um, I think pro um, and I kind of mentioned a little bit of this earlier, like I do really like that, get, like getting married young or just getting together young. It did let us really like build a lot of our foundation together and we talked about how that relates to like aspects of our indian culture but even other things like you know we we moved to new york um right out right after college and had this very like typical glamorous like broke young in manhattan type of experience and i think there's something about that struggle that like really bonds you you know know because you are like embracing like the hustle you are figuring out your career you're figuring out like just how to be an adult and there is so much about that struggle that every young adult goes through and going through it together um I I think it really just like set us up for a very healthy relationship like let us assess like what our values are like you know what things are important to us and all all of those things that are important in a relationship 
Um, on the, the flip side, I think something to just be super conscious of is having that, that independence that we talked about earlier. Like, I'm so fortunate to have like the most supportive partner in the world. And I know how important that's been to me for my career, but also like for having my own like relationships with friends and, you know, things in the community that I'm involved in and stuff like that. But I think if that's not, if that's not consciously recognized, that can potentially become a problem where you just like do everything together. And at the end of the day, you probably do have your own interests and your own like, you know, ways of doing things that you don't really get to explore um, because you, you just don't make the time or the, the effort to do so. Yeah, that makes total sense. For this topic, I wanted to highlight Colors of Honey, which is an Instagram account by Hanifa. She is an IBM UI designer by day, and she is a fantastic graphic designer by night. She actually creates a lot of art for a lot of modern Indian American accounts or podcasts or creative endeavors. She's incredibly talented. You might recognize her from the Kamala Harris vote for auntie sweatshirts that were trending during the uh, October, November election months. And so she has some fantastic work that is very gender empowering. I tend to refer to her art or order it when I need to surround myself with similar images. And so check it out. It's at Colors of Honey.